Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Finished watching that movie. I remember one of my brothers said something, it must have been a few weeks after or something, and he said something like, we should really watch Rocky Three. And I remember thinking, there's another one? There's another movie like this? With this guy? With this hero of a man taking on another country? Rocky Three is a completely different movie. But anyway, I just remember thinking, there's multiple of these? Like, this is amazing. Why aren't we watching all of them all the time? We, um, it's, it's a horrible segue. It's the only one I could think of, though. We're looking at the first missionary journey for Paul, and what we're going to find out in the next few chapters, I know, horrible segue, there's more missionary journeys. This is really cool. We're going to see the second missionary journey start today uh, in a few chapters, which means a few weeks from now, we'll see the third missionary journey. And what's beautiful is this, the missionary journeys just keep continuing through the church's history far past the book of Acts. This is a powerful, powerful thing. I couldn't plan this any better, by the way, that in the next couple of weeks we start our missions month. But there's this emphasis here in the book of Acts on sharing the gospel to people that have never heard his story, the story of Jesus. Uh, the beginning of Acts starts in, in verse 8 in chapter 1, and it's this verse. Uh, actually, let's read this verse together. It sets the stage for the entire book of Acts. Ready? Begin. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Uh, the, church, the church's explosion or expansion through the book of Acts follows these three separate phases. Uh, the first one is the church starts in the book of Acts. And so according to this verse, where will we first be witnesses in? Jerusalem, right? We're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem. And so this is where the church starts. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They receive the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in languages they were never trained in. The gospel is proclaimed at the end of Acts chapter 2, one of my favorite verses. It says, uh, and the same day they were added to the church about 3,000 souls. Like, it's an amazing thing. Acts chapter 4 and verse 5, or chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's like two or three more thousands of people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so the church starts starts there in the book of, uh, or in the city of Jerusalem. And then the next phase begins in about chapter six or so, and it's when the church ends up scattering. So the church starts, and then it scatters. Where will we next be witnesses, according to this verse? Judea and Samaria. So maybe in the back of your book, there are your back of your Bible, there might be some maps. You should look at where these maps are. But Judea and Samaria is the next place now, this was not originally the plan maybe the disciples had because they end up uh, scattering because of persecution. 
the religious elite are no longer happy with the Jewish people uh, who are coming to Christ sharing the gospel. And so because there's persecution, the church scatters. And so they scatter into Judea and Samaria. Then in the last few chapters, I think chapter 13, 14, depending how you look at the book, is when we get to the final phase, which is the rest of the book of Acts, and that is the church being sent. And where are we being sent according to this verse? To the end of the earth. Now, what's funny is, because for the Jewish people, the end of the earth doesn't quite mean what we think of when we think about the end of the earth, but they were thinking about the end of the known world where Rome had occupation, where there was civilization that they would communicate with, and so they're spreading the gospel to all of these different places. The purpose of Acts, as we read through, has been this. It tells us how God directs the expansion of his kingdom throughout the world through a spirit-empowered church despite internal obstacles and external opposition. And so every message that we've preached from the book of Acts, you can kind of pinpoint a segment of this purpose from that text. And as we look at it today, today's focus will be on that phrase right in uh, the beginning where it says God directing the expansion of his kingdom. That's what we're going to come and find out today. So Acts chapter 16 verse 1 says this, Paul came also to Derby. Everyone say Derby, and to Lystra. Lystra. So, uh, on the back of your outlines, and then also on the screen, we'll have a map. And if we can, for those of you watching online, we're going to try to blow this map up for the full screen, just so you can maybe get an idea of what we're looking at. Uh, so, as you look at the outline there on the back of it, it'll show you a couple of different routes. And what you'll see is the first route, or Paul's first journey, is, uh, is emphasized with the blue arrow. And you'll see where he started and where he went based on the direction of the arrow. You can see, similar to what we just read in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it, 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 it stayed pretty centralized. It stayed right in the same area from one another. And then the red will indicate where Paul's second missionary journey went. You can see Paul's second missionary journey, much longer in terms of miles, correct? Um, much more difficult, it seems like, just in terms of terrain and how many times he crossed water. Uh, just a far different journey for Paul in the second journey. Um, the back of your Bible, by the way, might have these maps that are labeled Paul's missionary journeys. It's a great way to kind of get an idea of what it looks like on where he traveled. So he traveled from Derby to Lystra. Part of what his goal was is he did the strengthening of the uh, churches when he visited these places. So it wasn't just that he wanted to start churches. He also wanted to see how the work would continue. And so as he traveled, he did two things. He would check on places he had already established churches, but then also share the gospel to believers or to Jewish people who wanted to hear. We're going to finish reading verse 1. Uh, it says this, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named, who is it? Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So similar to when um, you, you start reading a narrative history, and as the plot develops or the, uh, or the story moves along, you start getting introduced to new characters. We're now being introduced to Timothy. Now, a couple of things about Timothy you should know as you think about uh, what, we're, what we're about to see. Timothy's mother 
was Jew, and his father was an unbelieving Greek father. So his mother was a believing Jewish mother, but his dad was an unbelieving Greek father. Why might this be an interesting prospect in a missionary partner? Can you see what he had to grow up with, perhaps, being uh, insightful to his perspective as he shared the gospel? What did we just unpack in Acts 15 as kind of a major issue? We were unpacking that uh, Jewish people were, uh, were, were preaching the gospel. Gentiles who are outsiders are now getting saved. And so then some Jewish people said, well, no, they're not able, they, they can't just get saved. They got to come through the law to get saved because otherwise they're, they're, they'll be on equal footing as us. And here's Timothy, a, a young man, well spoken of by his brethren, and yet he comes from this family that ends up being pretty instrumental. He has a believing Jewish mother and an unbelieving Greek father. The last time Paul was in Lystra, they worshipped him as a god. Do you remember that? They worshipped him as a god. They said, oh my goodness, this person is, uh, is speaking as if he were one of the gods. They began to worship him. He denounced that worship. And the next thing you know, before the end of the chapter, that same group that was worshipping them was running them out of town, trying to kill them. So he's coming back to this city. And we get to verse 3 and we see what Paul's intentions become. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul was so impressed with Timothy that he asked him to join their missionary team. So as we go through, we're seeing the gospel expanded. We're seeing the progress of the church in taking the gospel into different areas. And so today, as we read through this narrative for 18 verses, we're going to find five reminders during progress. During progress. During portions of your life where things are moving ahead there's some reminders that we get from the text that are helpful to us when things are moving forward in our life. Reminder number one, where God guides, he will provide. Let's say that out loud. Ready, begin. Where God guides, he will provide. Who had just left Paul? Yeah. We remember in the last chapter, we had Paul and Barnabas, right? They were working together, and Paul says, hey, I think we should go here. And then, Paul says, and then Barnabas says, well, if we go, we should take John Mark with, me, with us. And Paul and Barnabas have what Scripture describes as a sharp dissension, right? We see them disagree, and all of a sudden, Paul goes this way, Barnabas goes this way, uh, Barnabas takes John Mark, Silas goes with Paul, and all of a sudden, Paul is left without who had been the person, the person who had been his right-hand man. Paul and Barnabas were these church planting partners. And so all of a sudden we see that, uh, that he leaves his partner, Paul, goes elsewhere. And now Paul is in a, a new phase of his ministry uh, where he doesn't have his partner. And he's provided Timothy. Where God guides, he provides. Let's read on in the narrative because it gets really confusing really quick. It says this in verse 3 as we read through. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and then read what it says next, and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in these places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Do you remember what they just got finished arguing about in Acts 15? 
Yeah, there's this interesting narrative where it feels like Paul is now going back on what was decided in Acts 15. Acts 15 unpacked this portion where uh, the Jewish, some of the Jewish people were saying, all right, if you're an outsider and you're not Jewish and you come to our faith, we are going to circumcise you. This is how you identify with us as Jewish people. Paul and Barnabas and Peter and everyone got together and James, the elders of the church, and they said, no, this is something that we adopted from our Jewish culture, but when an outsider comes to Christ, we shouldn't put any other uh, extenuating circumstances on their faith. They should be able to come to our faith without being circumcised, which sounds like good news if you ask me, right? This seems like a good thing to not put these extra requirements on people who are getting saved. Now, Paul wants Timothy to accompany him. Now, Timothy has a Jewish mother and a Greek father, so he takes them and circumcises them because of the Jews who were in these places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So in Acts 15, Paul argues strongly that it was not necessary to come under this requirement. And yet they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees that said, you don't have to do this. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, just for cross-reference sakes, in reference to another young pastor, Titus, it says this, even Titus, who was with me, Paul is writing this, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And so by Jewish law, Timothy was a Jew, and because he was the son of a Jewish mother, he was and because he was uncircumcised, he was technically an apostate Jew. And Paul could not appear to support apostasy, he felt like, if he intended to keep his ties to the synagogue. What was Paul's major um, strategy when he went to these cities? He would go to the cities and he would go to the synagogue. He would go to the synagogue first. He was trained. Uh, he knew scripture. He knew the Torah. He knew how to speak in the synagogue. So he would go to the Torah. And because of Paul's background, he was given uh, the opportunity to speak in the synagogue. And so if he wanted to continue that strategy, he felt very strongly, it appears from scripture, that he could not be supporting this apostasy. He wanted to have an open uh, avenue to continue going to the synagogue. And so Paul did this not for Timothy's salvation or for his justification, we learned last week, but so that Timothy's status as a non-circumcised man from a Jewish mother wouldn't hinder their strategy among the Jews and in the synagogues. So Paul did things for the sake of love that he would not do for the sake of trying to please God through legalism. So it wasn't that circumcision was not going to be observed anymore on any other context. But here Paul begins to feel like, if I'm going to continue the same strategy I've had in the past of going to the synagogue first, uh, getting favor there, being able to teach, and then seeing people who are in the synagogue hear the word of the Lord and now come to salvation, if I'm going to continue that, I need to have Timothy uphold this tradition so that he would not be viewed as an apostate. This is the best understanding I have to why Paul ends up doing this right on the heels of discussing why circumcision isn't necessary. Uh, we're going to read on in verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered, them, delivered to them for observances the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. 
So we see the work of Paul and Silas and Timothy was successful. Um, the churches are being strengthened. Verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And then look at the next phrase. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come to Mizla, or I'm sorry, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So here's two instances of Paul wanting to take the gospel in two different areas, and twice we see strong language in Scripture about the Holy Spirit's direction in his life. The first time it said in verse 6 that the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. The second time it did not allow them to go into Bithynia. Uh, question, is it a good thing for people in Asia to hear the gospel? Yeah, it is, right? Uh, it's a good thing for people in Bithynia, wherever that is, to hear the gospel, right? So, so what ends up happening when God says no to a good thing, to a, do a good thing? After strengthening the churches, Paul sought to go to all of these different places, but he was forbidden. Reminder number two during process, during progress, no can be a really frustrating answer. Isn't that encouraging on a Sunday morning? I want you to go home and stitch that on a pillow, would you? <laughs> no can be a really frustrating answer. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit actually forbade Paul to do something we would normally think as a really good thing. Here's Paul, and he goes, man, I want to go to Asia. I want to preach the gospel. Holy Spirit says, no. I want to go here then. If I can't go here, I'm going to go over here to Bithynia and these other places, and I want to preach the gospel with, with Silas and with Timothy, and this is what we're going to do. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you are forbidden to do so. And so now they end up going to Troas. The Spirit of God directed this work, and for some reason, Paul was not the right person, not the right place, or it wasn't the right time. There was certainly nothing wrong with Paul's desire to preach the gospel. Now, when I read texts like this and I hear that the Holy Spirit forbid Paul to go to Asia, forbid Paul to go to Bithynia, I think, well, how did Paul, how did Paul know God said no? And it makes me ask the question for us, how do we know when God is saying no to us? What does it look like? How did the Holy Spirit say no to Paul? It could be a word of prophecy that was given to him in a moment of prayer. It could be an inward speaking of the Holy Spirit as he was studying, as he was reading, as he was praying. Sometimes circumstance simply closes the doors on opportunities. One way or another, Paul got the message, Ephesus would come later, but it would not come now. Which leads us to our third reminder a conversation is two parties doing two different things, talking and listening. You know what happens if you're only doing one of the two things? You're in a lecture, not a conversation. How many of you remember getting lectured by your parents growing up? How many of you remember it feeling like a conversation? No. Why? It's... it's, it's, it's 
It's simply you're doing one of the two. And if you are getting lectured by your parents, can I tell you, you should be doing just the listening, right? There shouldn't be any talking in there. You're getting information. You're getting downloaded information. They're yelling information. They're being demonstrative. But it's not a conversation, right? It's not this conversation between two people. If you're doing all the talking uh, to your spouse in a certain setting, and you walk away from that conversation, you say, boy, that was a good conversation. If you were doing all the talking, you had a really good lecture with your spouse. The conversation is two parties doing two different things, talking and listening. What do we say prayer is? It's a conversation with God. And it really takes us doing both of these things for it to be a prayer. Because otherwise, if it is only an opportunity for us to speak and not listen, what posture does that put us up with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? That we're lecturing him? That we're just reading off a to-do list? That we're just reading off our wish list? So I want to encourage you to to, to kind of dive a little bit deeper in your prayer life, as it were, and say, how, how am I going to open up space in my prayer life to have a conversation where I'm praying and I'm listening? Because the Holy Spirit's going to be talking to you. We talked about it last week, that he will teach you and remind you, that he will convict you, that he will guide you, that he will uh, pray on your behalf. All of these things happens in the context of us listening to him. You know why? If you haven't felt convicted by the Holy Spirit, it is probably because you're not listening. If you haven't felt the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, lovingly as your pastor, might I suggest, it might be because we're not listening. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. I would encourage you to go back sometime this week and read John 15, 16, and 17. John 15, 16, and 17. It is the introduction of the Holy Spirit to uh, the disciples, and it kind of walks through how the, how the Holy Spirit will be in the disciples' life. And then John 17 is this beautiful chapter of Jesus praying for us his actual prayer for us. And in it, there's all of these spaces where the Holy Spirit wants to be active in our life. And yet if we are only praying in a way that leads us to just talking without ever listening, it becomes this one-way conversation that ends up not giving us the space to hear the Holy Spirit say no or wait. Or how about here? Or how about here? The Holy Spirit desperately wants to be in our life. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing about Paul um, that we see Luke write down. We see Paul's intention, his desire. I want to go here. And yet the Holy Spirit said no. The reason he knew the Holy Spirit said no is because he was listening. I want to go here then. I want to go to this other place. I want to share the gospel. This really good thing, Lord, this really good thing that they need and I have, and you've empowered us. We're moving. We're being sent. We're going to do it over here now. And in the space where Paul was able to listen, he heard the Holy Spirit say, no, I forbid you. There are good things that we want to do in our life, and there will be opportunities where God simply says no or wait. As a parent... Saying no is probably a pretty valuable thing in your home, isn't it? 
because no means you have different uh, knowledge, different context, different perspective. So what feels like the best idea for your child to do, and if they're still under your roof and you're still in a position where you get to guide and mold them, and if you say yes to everything in their life, what ends up, what ends up happening in that child's life? Chaos, pure chaos. There's no, there's no structure. There's no guidance. And, and similarly, even though it may not feel like it because we're fully grown adults and we know everything right now, there are opportunities where God wants to guide us. He wants to lead us. And he wants to say no. And so let me encourage you with this. Are you talking and listening? What does it look like to listen from the Holy Spirit? Where he's going he's gonna to talk to you in several different ways off the top of my head that I didn't write down. Um, he's going to talk to you through Scripture. And as you read Scripture, he's going to talk to you. He's going to talk to you through quiet moments where you've shut every other piece of noise off where you get away from noise, like actual noise, where you get around nature, when you get in the quiet and the solitude of just being still before our Heavenly Father. He's going to speak to you in that silence when social media can't talk to you and music isn't playing and you're not driving and you get to sit still and just embrace the very presence of God. He will speak to you. He will speak through you to godly friendships. If you have other people in your life who are also pursuing Jesus, God's going to use your conversations and your moments with them, and they're going to say something, and they may not intend it for your life, but they're going to say something, and it's going to be a gift to you where you're at in your life. He's going to speak to you the preaching and the teaching of the Word. So there's all these different places. What does it look like for us to talk and to listen in our prayer life? He wants to go to Asia. He wants to go to Bithynia. He's prevented. So, so he comes to Troas. It's his third choice. It's not the first place he wanted to go, but it was the Holy Spirit's plan to lead him to Troas. And as it were, Paul was guided by hindrance. And often the Holy Spirit will guide us as much by closing doors as he does by opening doors. If you just look at modern day missions and you think about some of the missionaries, I'm going to mention uh, three of them to you. And I'd encourage you to find their biographies and and, and, and read about these, but David Livingston wanted desperately to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, but God sent him to India instead. Adoniram Judson wanted to go to India, but God sent him to Burma instead. And as you read through these missionaries and their families' lives on where they wanted to go and where God said no and how it directed them to another field, it opened up what the Holy Spirit had envisioned all along. God guides us along the way just to the right place, and sometimes it's through closed doors. I want you to be mindful of this as we think through what it looks like to follow Jesus as we, look through, as we look forward to our missions month in the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear these amazing stories of how God guides, where he provides where he guides, but also opportunities where God has said no, and through obedience, we're directed to where God really wants us to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful process. We're going to keep reading in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. So in Troas, God makes 
Paul's direction clear, inviting Paul through this vision to the region of Macedonia. They moved Paul, this moved Paul, I should say, and his missionary team from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe, and this would be the first missionary endeavor into Europe. Reminder number four, no can be a really good answer. You see, when you stitch it on the pillow, just put that on the other side of it. It can be a really frustrating answer in our lives, but no can also lead us to the most beautiful places in our life. No can be a really good answer because the wisdom and greatness of God's plan can then be unfolded in our life. Paul's mind, he wanted to reach these few cities in his region that he was comfortable with, where he thought he could have access. God says no and ends up opening the continent of Europe to him in a way that he had never had intended. And Paul goes and he brings Macedonia the gospel. Now, what's interesting is from a literary point of view, there's some things shifting. Um, All through the first 16 chapters of Acts, from a literary point of view, when they describe a group of people, the pronoun used is they. And in Acts chapter 16, it switches to we, which just a little bit of insight for you. Why would it go from they to we? Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote the book of Acts. So just by observation, if, if the pronouns change from they to we in Acts chapter 16, what we can assume happened is everything from Acts chapter 16 and before, Luke was uh, brought up to speed. He was taught. He was shown what happened. And from Acts 16 on, he's actually with them. And so it's an amazing uh, picture of God's providence that because God said no to these other two places, he ends up going to Macedonia. And the best we can uh, learn from historical records as well as what we see in Scripture, this is also where Luke was and where Luke ends up joining Paul and the missionary. So Paul had no idea that God wanted to give him a whole continent, a, uh, a friend in Luke who also, what's Luke's occupation? Remind ourselves. He's the doctor. Um, Later in Corinthians, we see everything that Luke goes through on these missionary journeys. Um, Luke, Paul needed a personal doctor. Let's just put it that way. He needed a personal doctor. We're going to find out some things that happen along the way. But here's, here's Luke, or Paul, because God says no. Here's a whole other continent that's open up for him. Here's a personal doctor. And it gives all of us the man whom God would use to write more of the New Testament than anyone else. Paul, with these missionary journeys, goes to all these places. All because God said no a couple of times. But not only that, here's the thing. Paul listened when God said no. It gives me pause the next time I come up against a no in my life. Because normally this is how I approach no's in my life. If there's a no that comes up in my life, I just assume that God still wants me to do it. He just wants me to do it another way. Am I the only one? Lord, this is something really important to me and my wife. This is really something valuable. This is something that would be good for us. It would be good for our community. It would be good for our church. Um, on, on paper, all of this makes sense. And so because I see a no here, I, I know what you're saying. I got you. I'm going to look at it from a different angle and see if I can accomplish it another way. And that sometimes no is just no. 
Because God has other things in mind. No can be a really good answer for us. We're going to keep reading. Verse 11. The rest of the chapter is very, very interesting. We're going to read a few more verses just from the narrative point of view to kind of unpack what happens when they get to where they're going. And then we're going to wrap this in a bow with one final reminder. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we, there's that pronoun shift, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neopolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So now Paul and his missionary tomb, including Luke, um, have gone across the Aegean Sea uh, from the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. Uh, This was a bigger step than Paul had probably envisioned. Uh, Philippi is mentioned. This was the place where the armies of Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Brutus and Cassius and the second Roman Civil War. Because of this, Philippi ended up being kind of this colony of retired Roman um, uh, army men, um, countrymen. We go to verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Uh, look at that phrase right in the middle where we suppose there was a place of prayer. Normally, where would the place of prayer be? It'd be a synagogue, wouldn't it? And yet here on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we suppose there was a place of prayer. What this means is there was not enough men culturally in Philippi, Jewish men, to constitute a quorum that would allow a synagogue to actually be there. And the number is quite small. According to, again, historical documents, if there was 10 Jewish men in Philippi, they could establish a synagogue. But because there wasn't, they had to find these private places to pray. Just interesting that this is where Paul is going. Paul is going to the city where we think of Philippi and we think of the book of Philippians and it's hard to think in our mind, what did it look like before Paul got here? This is a window into what it looked like. There was less than a dozen men anyway that were uh, practicing followers of Jesus. Verse 14, one, of, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was sold by or what was said by Paul. Anyone who was a seller of purple dealt in value, valued luxurious product. The dyes used for making purple were very expensive, expensive and highly regarded. When people saw purple, there was this there was this immediate sign that this was valuable, this was of worth. I was going to put a picture of the Lakers jerseys right here. And I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do it. But you should know that's what we're talking about. So Lydia was the first convert in Europe. One might say that the Macedonian man turned out to be perhaps leading Paul to this woman. Thyatira was known as a center for this purple uh, dye, and that was important. Verse 15 We kind of follow her narrative for just a few verses after she was baptized in her household as well. She urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the word, to the Lord, come to my house, stay with us. And she prevailed among us. So before she was converted, the Lord had already begun to work in her heart. 
And this is a work God must do in all who believe. He will bring everyone to him. I think it's so beautiful that there's oftentimes people that will come to our church or they'll come to our picnic or maybe a meal. And, 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 and as we get to know them, we can just see that the steps leading up into their life, God has already prepared their heart for what will happen in our gatherings. It's so beautiful how God works. Therefore, uh, this important element in uh, evangelism of God uh, opening hearts, we need to pray for that. It's so beautiful to see how Lydia comes to Jesus. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Verse 17, she followed us, crying out, these men are spirits of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. This is a demon-possessed girl. The source of her money was as a fortune teller. Um, she was possessed. And yet what she is saying, again, is these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Look at Paul's response in verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. I love that Luke just said, I have no other words. He was greatly annoyed. <laughs> and he did not appreciate, Paul didn't, the free advertising from this demon-possessed woman. He didn't appreciate the source of the recommendation. He didn't need the demonic approval of his work. And Paul knew that a man would be identified by both his friends and his enemies and could do without a demonic letter of reference, as it were. So Paul, like Jesus, told the demon to be silent even when they told the truth. I think it's interesting as you, as you read through the narrative, whenever Jesus cast someone out, uh, he did so in his own name, in his own power, in his own authority. When you look at this verse in verse 18, it's clear, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't do it on his own authority. He was careful to do it in Jesus' authority. And that ends up kind of wrapping up this portion of the uh, narrative will move on in chapter 16 next week. These reminders during progress. First of all, where God guides, he will provide. Church, there will be uh, moments and opportunities where God will guide you, and it will not make sense where he's guiding you. It will not make sense, this new navigation or this new uh, territory you're called to navigate spiritually. You're going to be called to a new employment. You're going to be called to a new relationship. You're going to be called to someone coming into your life you had no intention of welcoming into your life or maybe someone coming out of your life that you never thought would come out of your life. And, and the reminder in Scripture is this, where God guides, he will provide. If there's a relationship you need for this season of your life, be faithful because God will provide the relationship. Here's Paul and he's, things are moving well with Barnabas. There's some momentum, there's some synergy, there's some beautiful things that have happened in Acts chapter 15. They overcome this huge disagreement that could have threatened the church and then Paul wants to go one way, Barnabas decides, yes, let's do it, but let's bring my cousin, our, uh, my, my, cousin my nephew, uh, whatever he was, uh, John Mark with him. And Paul says, no, I can't do it. And all of a sudden, they're separated, and Paul is left in a vacuum with, of this really close, intimate relationship. And where he goes next, God provides him Timothy. And if you follow the rest of the book of Acts, and we learn from First and Second Timothy, Paul and Timothy have this amazing relationship that only came about because 
Paul went where he was guided. Reminder number two, no can be a really frustrating answer. And I say it that way on purpose. It's important for us to phrase our emotion when we get no from the Holy Spirit. No can be a really frustrating answer. And in those moments, let me encourage you to take part in prayer, but make sure you're doing both parts of the prayer. As you pray and you let God know your frustration of what has just happened in your life, the frustration of hearing no, the frustration of hearing no in your life on something really important, something really invaluable, something really good, something really great, and yet there's this closed door. Let me encourage you to pray with talking and also with listening. Listen to the Holy Spirit because he will lead you to a place where no can be a really good answer and it'll show you a place where you might be in his presence more fully. The last reminder is this. During progress, God is absolutely calling you into his mission. He is absolutely calling you into his mission. Are you listening and will you obey? You know, God still calls people to the mission field. It's still possible for a type of Macedonian man to give an unusual call to serve God in a distant place. And when, when God guides, he will provide all of these reminders, lead us to this place. Is our trust and faith in God at a place where we listen, where we can obey? In two weeks, we are going to begin this missions month, and we make no bones about it. We want to raise money. We want to raise your money out of your pockets, out of your accounts, into all of these different places that are displayed. In fact, we are praying right now as a missions team to add two more missionaries to our, uh, to our roster this year. We, uh, we want to take on more. So let me quickly outline what happens. And we're going to be talking about this for a few weeks. And again, we make no apologies about raising money for the cause of missions. Out of our church, when we take an offering, which is located on those two back uh, boxes, and when you give online, and when you, uh, when, when, when you send a check, many of our people mail in their offering. When you send in money, we're going to take 13% right off the top and designate it towards missions. No matter what comes in, no matter where we are in our finances, 13% goes directly towards missions. In addition to those 13% taken off the top, we have about 30 to 40 families in our church that give above and beyond their regular giving designated towards missions. And so combined, we take those funds and we have a mission teams that disperses it to these uh, 19, I want to say, different missionaries. He is absolutely asking you to take part in our month of missions. I have no doubt. I don't mean that in a sense of manipulation. I simply mean that in, in the fact that what we are asking our church to do is the very biblical call of sharing the gospel from where we are in Roseburg. And it is to send money and funds to entrusted people who will then use it for the work of the gospel in their location and in different ways. So we'll have four weeks where we uh, simply share and update our church. Now, here's the cool thing. We used, to do, um, we used to do a one great weekend for missions, and it was awesome. It was on a Saturday and Sunday, 
And uh, it would start on Saturday afternoon with a meal, and we would do presentations Saturday night. We would do that downstairs. How many of you remember sitting in those presentations on those metal chairs? Um, as we just sat there, we listened, right? And then Sunday morning, we would have breakfast, and we would have a Sunday school hour, and then we would have more presentations, and then on Sunday during the service, we would do so, and then we would have lunch. We ate a lot on this weekend. We ate lunch together as well, and we would reveal. Uh, During the pandemic, we decided, you know what? It's probably not safe for us to fly in all these people from all parts unknown for one weekend. So God led us to this idea where we said, what if we just took a month and we just highlighted over the course of a month. So that's what we've landed on. And it's been a beautiful opportunity from here, our missionaries. We have about 30 to 40 families, like I said, to do that, uh, raise money for this. Um, if you're not one of those 30, 40 families, I would encourage you to figure out what it looks like to get involved. To give $5 a month, $10 a month, $20, 1000 whatever, whatever God's calling you to, that's the most important thing. Remember I said when prayer is a 2 way conversation if all we do is pray about what to do with missions but we never listen to the holy spirit we're missing a valuable piece of god's instruments and god's ways he's designed us to take part in the ministry there's a friend that you have in your life that needs the gospel and god is absolutely calling you into his mission of sharing the gospel I'm not saying that you go home and you text them and say, you know, you give them the whole plan of salvation in a text. But what I'm saying is, what does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to love them well, to be in their space, to meet them where they are with their faith, and simply walk with them in their faith? And that will lead them right to Jesus. He is absolutely calling you into his mission. He's absolutely calling you into. The beautiful thing we're going to see for the next few chapters in the book of Acts is Paul starts running into all of these different people, and they all start taking their part in the ministry. I think about Lydia. I think about Timothy. And I think about these two different people who, when they were exposed to Paul, all of a sudden gave them the avenue to live out their faith. And the beautiful thing is this, God was already working in both of their hearts. God absolutely is calling you to his mission. Are you listening and will you obey? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, as we consider what's happening in the book of Acts, I'm overwhelmed by the sense of destiny that Paul had. This overwhelming sense of destiny where he was guided to very specific places You gave him very specific instructions. There was times where you said no, and there was times where you said yes, and all of it was so very specific. And yet the more we kind of rest in Acts chapter 16, I believe it's not so much destiny as it is someone just listening to the Holy Spirit. So Father, would you help us to exercise that spiritual muscle of just listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that where you will guide, you will provide. So if you're guiding us down this path of obedience, then I am convinced that you will provide financially. You will provide the resources. You will provide the right logistics. You will provide the right scenarios. I'm convinced of it. And Father, as we listen and we hear no in our life, 
may we not misinterpret that as an opportunity to outscheme your divine plan for our life. But may we pray, may we listen, may we obey as we listen so we can see what the no was allowing us to see. And may we take part of this mission you have called us to, to just simply give every person the opportunity to meet Jesus. Father, you did that for us. You gave us the opportunity to meet you. And Father, as we move forward, I pray that 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 would be a hallmark of this church, that we simply give people the opportunity to meet Jesus. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.